a passage of scripture from Mark that, that walks us through the crucifixion of Jesus. If you want to follow along, there's a Bible under your chair, or you can just listen. We're on page 852, Mark chapter 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the resurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on him and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. And they crucified him. And they divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their hands and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with Him also reviled Him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. 
And and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw this and the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we come here because of you. All because of you. There's no other reason we've come. Tonight, as we look into your word, we pray that you would open our hearts. Let us appreciate again the significance of your sacrifice. May we see something we've never seen. Would you speak to us fresh and new? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This horrendous event is the focal point of all of Christian history. The Old Testament up to this point is pointing to the event of the cross. And the Gospels, after the Gospels, the New Testament is looking back to the crucifixion of Jesus. And if you read this story as we're sitting here reading it out loud, even as I say these things, there's not a whole lot in that that you just go, man, that's good. That just makes me feel warm inside. What an amazing thing. It makes us feel sad. It makes us feel heavy. But the tradition of this day is called Good Friday, and we're going to get to that in just a second because it is good. But what we need to remember, first of all, as Chuck talked about this on Sunday, but a word was invented just to describe the agony that one experienced on the cross. The word excruciating wasn't in existence until they witnessed somebody dying on the cross. It is the most painful way to die. The event on its own is horrendous. It's evil. It's dark. It's anything but good. But we believe in a God whose specialty is taking things that look really, really bad and bleak and turning them into hope and joy and salvation. And even throughout this story, we understand that that's what was happening. And so for just a few minutes here this evening, I want to talk about what makes Good Friday good. The first thing that makes Good Friday good is the goodness of God. The goodness of God. And by this I mean the sovereignty of God. And the sovereignty of God quite simply just means that God is always in control. Nothing catches Him off guard. There's no surprises. It's easy for us to look and go, wow, this illegal trial and the lies of these these witnesses whose stories don't match up. And and they just didn't do any of it right. How could they be? And if we look at it, we look at the hands of men manipulating Jesus. But what we actually believe is that these kings that put Jesus to death are actually pawns in the hand of our king because our king was working about his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Jesus didn't didn't have his life taken from him. It was laid down. God was in control of this. Good Friday is good because God is good and he is sovereign and he is in control. All the way back um, in Genesis uh, chapter 50 and verse 20, it says, As for you, this is um, Joseph speaking, says, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God makes good things from terrible things. And though the enemy means things for, for destruction, God can redeem them 
for good. God makes literally what we see here on its own to be the worst day ever. And the course of a weekend turns it into the best day ever, which we're going to focus on on Sunday. And that's what God does. In Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. From this point forward, this moment is at the heart of what the followers of Jesus refer to as the good news. They point back to this as being the best news ever. And so the first thing that we see, why is Good Friday good, is because God is good and He is sovereign. And the events of the cross happen under His watch according to His plan for His ultimate purpose. The next reason that Good Friday is good because of, is because of the love of God. The love of God. This wasn't an accident. Nothing caught God off guard like I just said. This was Jesus' choice from the beginning to willingly lay down His life. He told His followers that this was coming. This is exactly what He said would happen. It wasn't an accident. It was a choice. It was a loving sacrifice by your heavenly Father who loves you and sent His Son to die for you. But we see in the Scriptures very clearly that Good Friday, the events of the cross, are the act of a loving God. In 1 John 3, it says, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. This is love, His sacrificial choice. Romans 5, 6 and 8, 8 says, 6 through 8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We see the cross as an act of sacrificial love. Let's look for a minute at some scripture that supports the sacrificial side of Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus 10, uh, John 10, 11 through 15 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. That passage shows us that this isn't some random act that was accomplished on the cross. This was the intentional act of a loving God on your behalf. He's a good God. He's sovereign over all things. We see that He's a loving God through the sacrifice that He willingly made for us on the cross. And next we see that we see the sufficiency of God. The sufficiency. This plan is thousands of years in the making. It was accomplished on this Friday, but thousands of years of history were pointing to this event. From the beginning of Scripture in Genesis to the end in Revelation, we see very clearly that the penalty for sin is death. Romans says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes you and me. We were born into sin, and yet we continue to choose sin. Sin is a problem. 
And from the beginning of the Scriptures to the end of the Scriptures, it says that sin demands a punishment. And that punishment, the sin is so severe that its punishment is death. In the Old Testament, we read of sacrifices made by priests to satisfy the payment that was necessary for sin. Before the cross, atonement was made through sacrifice. Sin is so disgusting and vile that it deserved a punishment of death. Something had to die. Blood had to be spilled for sin to be paid for. And in those days, the presence of God dwelled inside the temple. And there was a place of the temple called the Most Holy Place. And only the high priest could go behind the curtain. We read in the passage just a second ago that the curtain was torn. That's the curtain it's talking about. In the temple, there was a place where people could come and there was a place where sacrifices were made. But only the high priest could step behind the curtain and offer the sacrifices to God where the blood would be spilled for the forgiveness of sin. And on this Friday, it was the traditional day of atonement for the Jewish people. And it was so important of a day, sometimes people would just refer to it as the day. There was nothing more important than the day that the high priest went into the most holy place and offered a sacrifice for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. And the way they would do it is like this. They would take two goats without blemish. And one of those goats would be slaughtered and the blood would be taken and put on the altar. Blood was shed for the forgiveness of sin. And then a second goat was brought in. And this goat had, the priest would lay his hands on this goat and he would confess out loud the sin of all of the people. So you had the first goat that was our sacrifice. You had the second goat that is literally our scapegoat. And that scapegoat that had the sin placed upon it, symbolically spoken, the confession of the sin of all of the people placed upon this goat would be set free to roam in the wilderness, to never be around the people again. We see the sufficiency of God here. That one was the sacrifice, the punishment that our sin deserved. The second one was our scapegoat. That not only was the sin forgiven, but it was actually removed and taken away and sent away. Never to be seen or heard from again. Jesus' act on the cross accomplishes those two things for us. He paid for our sin and He erased it. For those that believe in Him, that sin is erased. Now and forever. Isaiah 53, verse 4 says this, Surely He has borne our grief and carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus was the sacrificial person that we needed to take our sin, to pay for it, and remove it from us. 
So we see that, that he is a sufficient God because he made the sacrifice that we needed and he removed our sin. Now that sin that we experience, I think that we need to think about it in two ways because we're probably pretty well aware of the sin that we commit. Nobody's more aware of our own weaknesses than we are and our sins against God. This, the, the crucifixion of Jesus satisfies the payment for the sins that we commit 100%. But there's another sin that it atones for as well. There's another sin that can be removed just like that goat took off with it to the wilderness and that is not sins done by you but sins done to you. Because it's not just sins that we commit that wreak havoc on our lives. If we continue in sin, we reap the destruction. We, we reap what we sow if we continue in sin. James says that sin starts small and it grows and eventually it culminates in death. Every sin has consequence. And when we meet Jesus, we understand that our sin is forgiven and that sin can be taken away. But for some, maybe you don't struggle. Maybe you don't understand the forgiveness that you have in Jesus. But it's, it's the sin that somebody else has done to you that keeps you in agony. That keeps you from moving forward in what God's created you to be. See, what makes Good Friday good is the goodness of God, the love of God, and the sufficiency of God to forgive not only the sins that we commit, but the sin done to us. And so if you're here this evening and there's affliction that you've experienced, not at your own hand, but at the hand of somebody else, I want you to know that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was enough to forgive that as well. The forgiveness that we receive empowers us to extend forgiveness towards those who sin against us. He's enough. He is sufficient. There's nothing else necessary that we need. He is our sacrifice and our scapegoat. He is all we need. And some of the famous words from the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. It is enough. You don't need anything else to atone for your sin or the sin done to you. That's good news. The next thing that we see happening here is the presence of God. Good Friday is good because of the presence of God because there was once this place that only the high priest could go. But when Jesus was killed, the curtain was torn, which is saying that the presence of God that could only be experienced by one person in all of Israel is now available to anybody who would come for it. So the forgiveness of our sin has made a way not for us to participate in a religious experience for the rest of our life, but the curtain has been opened and has invited us into a relationship, a God that we can know, not just believe in, but walk with, talk with, pray to, live with, follow actively. The presence of God, the invitation into the presence of God, into a relationship with God is what was happening when the curtain was torn. The cross opened the door for the presence of God to be something that we all can experience. Hebrews chapter 10 says it like this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure 
water. Just look at that draw near. The experience of the cross is not simply something for us to observe here on a Friday night. It's not simply something for us to, to believe. It is a way for us to draw near to God. And if you've never experienced more than, than religion or more than a book or more than do's and don'ts, I want to invite you to a reality that is living in a relationship with Jesus in his presence. That's what the crucifixion has opened for us. And if you've never experienced that, I want to invite you to ask some questions about that. Maybe that's what we're going to experience this morning or this evening. Maybe that's what God is speaking to you. But Good Friday is good because all of a sudden it's not about do's and don'ts and rules and regulations, but it's about a God who came to earth, who sacrificed himself to cleanse us from our sin, to give us the power to let sins against us not affect us anymore, and to invite us through the curtain into his presence. The last thing that makes Good Friday good is the power of God. And the power of God. Now, I will have to say, you need to come back Sunday to talk more about the power of God. But this is Good Friday. And I want to give us just a little glimpse because on one side of the cross, we see disciples who were sinful, who were failures, who were sleeping when they were supposed to be praying, who did everything wrong, who were embarrassed to be associated with Jesus, who denied Him in His presence, who lied. I mean, they were full of sin on one side of the cross. On the other side of the cross, we see faithful followers who gave everything they had and who literally changed the world. What was the difference? The cross. On one side, they suffered from the effects of sin. On the other side, they were radically changed and transformed by the power of God. The cross changed everything for them and for us. And it is ludicrous that we wear around our necks or on our ears or inked on our body a cross. Because what that was, was a symbol of death. It doesn't make any sense. Except for this, that God takes something like death and turns it into life. He makes good things great, or bad things good. He redeems what the enemy tries to, to steal for his good and perfect purposes. And that's the power of God that's available to each and every one of us. So this evening, I just want us to consider why this is Good Friday. Are there any of these things where you sit, where I stand up here, that we need to be reminded of? The goodness of God. He's sovereign in control over all things. The love of God. His love for you is perfect. He loves you. God sent him his son because he loves you. And because your sin, my sin, needed a payment. Good Friday reminds us that he is enough. We don't need to look anywhere else for any satisfaction in this world. He's more than something to believe in or someone to believe in. He's somebody to know through his loving presence that he invites us into when the curtain was torn. And he has the power to transform us from who we were to who we were created to be. Good Friday. It could be good for you. It can be good for me. So I want to invite us to 
a time of response to think about some things as we move on. Here's some things that we can do. Good Friday will not be good for us if we don't acknowledge the weight and reality of our own sin. If we don't come to the place where we admit that we are sinners in need of a Savior, then we miss the significance of the cross altogether. We have to acknowledge our sin before God. We have to believe in Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. We have to confess our sin. And if we've done that, maybe we need to confess the sin done against us. It is those sins that Jesus lovingly and willingly allowed himself to be killed for. And remember that he's enough and that it is finished and those no longer count against you and they don't have the power to hold you back anymore from a loving relationship with God. The veil is torn and the presence of God is open to you. That's your invitation. When you came in, you probably noticed the a cross in the middle of the room. We wanted it to be central. And as we move on, I thought it would be good to not just stand and sing, but maybe to actually move a little bit into a physical reminder of what we've experienced here and seeing that Good Friday is good. And so what we want to invite you to is either under your chair, if you're in a chair that doesn't have a chair in front of you, there's an index card. If you've got a chair directly in front of you, there's an index card. I just invite you to take that. There's pens in the back of the chairs, and we're going to have some. If for some reason you don't, there's going to be some actually at the foot of the cross, some extra cards and some extra pens. As a personal reminder, you have sin that you're aware of that you know is hindering you from going forward with God I want to invite you you don't have to you can write the actual sin if you want you can draw a picture of the sin you can draw a word that makes you think of the sin but in your heart you're letting a sin you're letting your sin come out this is a confession not to me not to any of the other pastors this is your confession to God or if there's a sin against you that's hindering you, crippling you, causing you anguish, you can also write that. And as you write it, I invite you to write this at the top. This is finished. This sin no longer counts against you. That sin done to you never has to hold you back anymore. Jesus died for that. And as you come to some clarity on that and you write that, I just, maybe this is something you'd like to do. Fold it, because that's between you and the Lord. And at your convenience, if you want to come and just drop it at the feet of the cross and remember that it's finished, it's over. You certainly don't have to do that. Maybe you just want to come and get close to the cross. Maybe you just want to find some space and pray. But we're going to have a time. The band's going to lead us, and this is your time to respond to the Lord. So let me pray for us. God, 
Thank you for this. Thank you that you are good. That you made something good out of something terrible. And as we reflect on this, would you help us 